0: Welcome to another edition of Showtime with Coop. Insightful BS with my Laker teammates and NBA legends and in the house today. And, B, I'm going to go out on a limb, and I want you to back me up on this. Two-thirds of the greatest backcourt that's ever played, and I'm putting that down right now. Michael Cooper, Byron Scott, Magic Johnson, you can't name any other three guards in, I think, in the history of the league that were
1: better than us. What do you say about that, B? I... Coop, I say, first of all, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Uh, so good to see you. I agree 110% with you. Uh, I've been debating that for years, and I've been looking at other backcourts trying to figure out, when I mean, you put together a threesome like the threesome that we had back in the Showtime 80s, that there's not a better backcourt in the history of basketball. And, and I even went back to the to the Laker days, you know, where they had J.S. and Gil Group. I was like, all right, who's the third guy? You know, I couldn't figure that one out, you know. so. All these backcourts, you know, in in the uh, NBA history, when you start talking about the best three or backcourts uh, in the history of the NBA, no doubt in my mind, Michael Cooper, Byron Scott, Magic Johnson, without a doubt. You no, know I, I, when I was kind of thinking about that, the only one that may rival us
0: is back in the uh, late '60s, '70s, uh, Walt Frazier, Dick Barnett, and Earl the Pearl Monroe. That was a good three, but none of them, none of them, only one I could play defense was uh Fraser. Them other ones weren't defensive. All three of
1: us were pretty good defensive players. As you said before, you, you were the best defensive player I ever been around. Uh individually team wise. And when I talk about defense, all around defense, you know, Coop, you had everything, you know, uh speed, quickness, strength, uh athleticism. You had them long ass arms, so you can guard six, eight, six, nine guys, but also, that helped you guard those six-one, six-two guys, and then you had me—you know, pretty good on, on individual defense and team. And then you had Buck, who was you know okay individualized, but great team team defender. So when you put those three elements together, again, I, I just don't think you know Earl and Walton. There's no doubt about it; those two guys were great with, with with Barnett. But those three guys, to me, still don't hold a candle to what we were able to do on both ends of the court. The Showtime podcast with Michael Cooper is brought to you by FanDuel, the exclusive wagering partner of the CLNS Media Network. I'll do with that.
0: Everybody, Byron Scott is in the house on the show. I'm going to show you something real quick because I'm real proud of this shirt here. I got my New Mexico Lobo shirt on because we went to ASU. We're going to get into that a little bit, how we used to whoop y'all's ass. But that's a whole other story for a moment, Todd, back in the 70s. Yeah, it is. Dude, I what talk a lot.
1: I was playing. I mean, what you talking about. <laughs> <laughs>
0: See, I talk a lot about well, as we were growing up you hear all this where the best players are from uh, New York, uh, from Washington, Rutger Park, from Philadelphia. You know what? People don't understand. We had a lot of great players, myself, yourself included, Reggie Theus, the late great Dennis Johnson, uh, Tyson Chandler, Lisa Leslie. Uh, tell us about you growing up in
1: Los Angeles. Russell Westbrook. Okay, all yeah. right, we're gonna get to you. <laughs> you know, yeah, AR jumping, uh, you know, another century or so above, but but uh <laughs> yeah, Cooper, I'm with you, you know. I, I remember playing back in the days of my high school days, that's all I heard about was New York ballers, you know, how good these guys were. And and I played AAU ball when it was BCI at the time, you know, and I had just got in my junior year and went to Utah and Arizona and played against the so-called best you know, high school players in the country. And we ate New York up, you know. I mean, we ate New York. We lost one game in two years in, in the team that wow. I played with, and we had myself, Leon Woods, Darren, Darren Day, um, Cliff Livingston, guys like that. So we had, had a, you know, we had a little bit of a chip on our shoulder because that's all we kept hearing was about, you know, was about New York ballers. So growing up, I kept hearing that same thing, and like you said, when I look around uh from when we played and and even now you know california has always represented itself well with some of the best high school players best college players best pro players in the the history of the game so like you threw out a couple of names and and, you know guys that we know you know real well you can even go up to the paul pierces and james harden today russell westbrook we still you know california still put out some great basketball talent and i and i continue to think it will continue you know, as we get older and older and even when we leave this earth, you know, the, the reputation they had when I was coming up is that all these guys had great handles and were great athletes. Couldn't shoot worth a damn, but they all had great <laughs> handles and, you know, were great athletes. And the word, the word they're hearing on the West Coast was that, you know, we could shoot and, and do all that, but we were soft, you know, which which I still don't understand. I know, I know that man I'm talking to, Mr. Michael Cooper, was not soft. Yeah. at all. I know me when I was in being with him was not soft at all. I, You know, I, I was just like me and Coop and, and, and Buck, you know, we were the enforcers on our team. You know, we were ready to fight anybody at any time, anywhere. It didn't matter. You know, so that soft, you know, label that was given to us in California was, you know, I, I think misrepresented because it wasn't, you know, it wasn't me. It wasn't him. And, and I think a lot of guys that label but it was kind of the label back in the day we were soft we were we, we, we had guys who could shoot you know and new york had ballers they could handle and they were tough and that's so much bullshit i don't know what i, I don't know what else to say about it oh finally <laughs> you came out of your pocket big i was going to talk about fuck
0: that man we were damn good man but anyway <laughs> i'll be the one with the potty mouth so b you find yourself at morningside you have a great high school career and now you find yourself at arizona state how did that happen
1: Oh man, It was a long process. You know, I was getting heavily recruited by pretty much everybody on the West Coast. You know, I, I made it a I made a quick point to everybody in the East. I ain't going east. I ain't going where it's cold and snow and all that stuff. I'm a California boy. I'm gonna stay close to the West Coast. You know, so that that pretty much got rid of all those people in the East and the Midwest <laughs> about recruiting me. So it basically came down for me to ASU, uh, UCLA, and Vegas, and at the end of the day, when I when I was choosing between Arizona State and UCLA, uh, Jim Herrick, who I know you remember well, who was yeah, assistant coach well. at UCLA, mm-hmm. he came in. He still was trying to figure out where I wanted to go because my mom was like, you know, I would love for you to stay home and go to UCLA. My dad was like, no, nah, you probably, you know, Arizona State, Coach Newman, they're going to take care of you. And so I was torn and my mom said to me one day, she said, you know what, something's going to happen that's going to make your decision easy. Well, that's something that happened was Jim Herrick came to Morningside. And I still was you know, trying to decide, and he told me, he said, "Look at look, look at me, you know, Mr. Scott. I want you to look at me in my eyes." And he said, "People that don't go to UCLA don't beat UCLA." And I said, "God damn, I'm going there. Oh, no That's kidding. Play your ass twice a year. <laughs> you, you don't challenge an inner city kid like that. You don't like that to me, right?" And so that was the reason I went to Arizona mm-hmm. State was basically because it wasn't that far from home. Number one, number two, I got the chance to play against UCLA twice a year. Wow. B, You know
0: what? You uh, some of your accolades, three time NBA champion, 85, 87, 88 NBA, all rookie first team in 84. Uh, you're a League champion. First team, all Pac-10 in 83, Pac-10 freshman of the year in 1980. You got your jersey retired in Arizona State. I ain't never got mine retired, but I'm working on it. 14th grade All-American, McDonald's All-American. I mean, you had so many accolades, and you go to Arizona State.
1: Is that why you left early, because you felt you were ready for the NBA? I did, Coop. I mean, I I played there three years. I had another year of eligibility, and and what made my decision, I think, easy is that the, the, the late, great DJ, who you mentioned earlier, Dennis Johnson, who played with the Phoenix Suns at the time, and I used to go to a lot of Phoenix Suns game and I used to watch him in the Greyhound, you know, Walter Davis, you know, and that was a hell of a backcourt. Yeah. And he would come to ASU and, uh, and would run with us, you know, in the, in the summertime when the season was over, he would come to ASU and run with us. So this one particular time he came after I finished my junior year and I was trying to decide if I was going to go pro or not. And we were playing, you know, five on five and he guarded me every game. And I, I, had a, I had a nice, you know, four or five games. I was I was playing well against one of the best defensive players in the NBA. And DJ told me after we finished playing, we were in the locker room, you know, we showered up and we getting dressed. And he said, so what you gonna do? And I was like, what are you talking about? He said, well, you know, I know you got a big decision. Are you gonna go pro or are you gonna, you know, stay your last year in college? And I said, I don't know, DJ, I'm still trying to figure it out, man. He said, he looked at me, he said, you ready? He said, you ready? And that right there, hmm. you know, gave me the confidence To say, you know what, if I got a guy like DJ, you know, telling me that I'm ready, you know, I must be ready. So I'm going to go ahead and make that decision. I decided to go pro.
0: You know, Ari, some of the guys, uh, there's a difference between cocky and confidence. And I remember when Byron was coming out and all the flack was him was coming out and Clippers had the pick and, you know, the great Jerry West. And we'll get all into that. But one thing that Byron said when he came into the NBA was I'm better than Magic Johnson. He put that statement out there and you know what? When we finally were able to get him, the trade was made. We lost Norm Nixon, but we brought in this young guy and we put his ass through the test the first two or three days. And B, I'm going to tell you this. I never said this to you. I knew you were ready and you were going to be part of our team after about the fourth training camp because, all right, we were banging him and he was hitting us back and, we kind of isolated him. We wouldn't talk to him for a couple of times and him and AC green were off to the side. And, but you know what? He never lost that focus. And one day he went in, uh, this is when I knew he was ready. And AC green was ready. So I went in to dunk on AC green. AC green blocked my dunk and slammed me to the floor and said, boy, you better stop that. Cause AC didn't curse. But Byron went in, I guess it was always one of the veterans there that was there and slam dunk the basketball. And, and that's when we had a newfound respect for him and he became part of the group. What would your feeling be when we were going through those times in training camp?
1: Well, you know, first of all, I, I wish I hadn't said that about Urban in the first place, because I knew y'all was upset. And I didn't know how good, you know, yeah, I, I didn't know how good, you know, uh, Buck, yourself, you know, word, you know, I'm just watching on TV, but to actually get into practice and go against y'all, I was like, shit, these dudes, they they got game, you know, and they were they were going at me, AT, they were, they were beating me up and everything. And I was like, you know what, I'm from the hood. So I'm gonna, you know, everything they give me, I'm gonna give back. You know, that was kind of my, that was kind of my, you know, my way of thinking. But when, when they accepted me, it, it was like one of the happiest days of my life. Cause I knew it was going to be hard because I knew Norm was a boy. And I needed to go through the fire. I knew I had to earn my stripes, and that's probably one of the main reasons that you know why you know Coop was throwing them sharp ass elbows and hit me, and, and Buck was hitting me. That I didn't, I didn't panic. I didn't really retaliate because I understood that, hey man, they you know they're a little upset. You know you you hear in in place of their boy, you have to deal with it. And I was like, but the way for me to make a statement was, you know, first chance I got to dunk on somebody. I was gonna dunk it and dunk it hard, and I, thought once I did that, and they was kind of like, oh shit, okay, well, all right, well, this, this kid ain't bad, you know. And then, then we were the three musketeers. From that point on, it was, it was, it was heaven after that. I, I didn't. I, I pretty much put my damn foot in my mouth, and I had to, uh, I had to deal with it. And, uh, and and Coop and Buck, they didn't, they didn't let me forget it. That first four or five practices, man, I was like, shit, these dudes. First, I thought they were crazy. Then I was like, "But you know what? It's all good because I'm from it too. I can be crazy as hell too, you know." <laughs> so I, I had that kind of, you know, attitude. <laughs> but I also knew that, look, I, I'm gonna have to go through this. It, it's as simple as that. You right. have to go through so You have to earn your stripes, and, and I knew that. So it, you know, it wasn't as, it wasn't it was it was bad, but it wasn't that bad. And to be honest, I thought it brought us closer together as the as the years went on. Obviously, we had each other's back, and and like Coop said earlier. We formed the best three uh, of guards, you know, to me in NBA history. You know what, B, and I I thought, again, that was something cocky to say. but That's the confidence
0: in you. And uh, you know what? If I had thought of it, I would have said the same thing. You know, who is this guy? Who are they? You know, I'm here. I'm just as good as these guys. So don't look at it like that. Massachusetts, listen up. The wait is finally over. FanDuel, America's number one sports book, is now live in Boston. I have so many people that love me in Boston. And new customers in Massachusetts can get in on the action with $200 in bonus bets guaranteed when you place your first $5 bet. Just sign up at FanDuel.com Boston. Finally, you can bet on all your favorite sports from the money line to point spreads to player props and more. Don't miss your chance to get $200 in bonus bets, win or lose. Visit FanDuel.com slash Boston. You're listening to Byron Scott on Showtime with Coop, podcast Insightful BS with my Laker teammates and NBA legends, and be with this portion of the show, which I call Coop's Lightning Round. I'm going to give you five names, Uh and you tell me as much about this person as you want,
1: okay? Okay, here we go. Jerry West. Okay. Uh, innovator, uh, uh, one of the greatest general type of talent that I think we have seen in our generation. Everywhere he goes, uh, you know, the Lakers, Memphis, you know, he, he he just touches gold. I mean, he has a unique way of uh, being able to scout talent, and even to this day, you know, Coop, I still call him my bad basketball dad because every decision I made when it came to coaching I called the logo up he would always pick up the phone we would always talk about it uh, I would get my five or six words in and he he took over the conversation and then I the, the next words I would get in his best guy Jerry talk to you later <laughs> <laughs> but uh yeah the logo unbelievable, unbelievable man I love him
0: I love him too Ben that's a great great uh uh, label you put on him, our basketball dad, because Jerry treated all of us like we were his sons. But uh, yeah. next game, LeBron James.
1: One of the greatest players of all time. I think he will definitely go down in history as that. Um, I love the way that he's kind of patterned his game after Magic, being a 6'9 point guard, but he he's not the true point guard. We all know that he's more of a scorer, but he also is a, f- a facilitator um, and to me a winner and I think he'll go down as, a, as as one of the greatest of all time not the greatest in my opinion I know there's a lot of talk between him and MJ on who's the greatest of all time that that you know that title still goes to Kareem Abdul-Jabbar in my mind uh, um, but he is definitely going to be in that top five top ten when you start talking about greatest players you're starting to think alike B Scott uh, Dr. Bus. best owner ever uh, innovator, a visionary. Uh, you know, Dr. Buss was the one that talked about bringing in, you know, TV, you know, uh, prime time at the time and, and bringing cheerleaders, you know, to, uh, you know, to, uh, you know, do their thing at halftime and do their thing between timeouts to keep the, keep the crowds engaged and um you and i both know you know anytime you were around dr bus you know he treated you just like you were one of his you know he he was one of the best owners i've ever seen ever been around um he even called me coop when i got fired from new orleans he called me and asked me when are you gonna be back in town i want you to come to a game and when i came back went to a game sit in the box with him and we just talked you know just talked basketball uh he- He's just a truly unbelievable person and one of the most humble people I've ever met at that position. I mean, uh I, again another person that I just love and, and miss dearly because Dr. Bus was something a lot of stuff that goes on today, you know, even, even with the Lakers organization, you know, and even though Jeannie's doing a great job, and probably before Jeannie took over, a lot of stuff that's going on over the last five, six years or 10 years with the Lakers wouldn't have been happening with Derrick Bus here. Yeah. There's no way. You know, a lot of it wouldn't have happened. So Uh, I I still think, by far, to me, the greatest owner of all sports, of any sport. Uh, Kyrie Irving. Kyrie Irving is one of the most gifted uh, point guards I've ever seen. Um, This kid has no weaknesses offensively. He can go left as well as right. He can pull up off the dribble. He can catch and shoot, three-point range. Uh, I, I saw the kid at 19, you know, when we had him in Cleveland, Uh, We would post him up. He was that good in the post. Uh, He he just has no weakness. He could be, you know, really when this is all said and done, if he can continue to stay healthy, uh, he can be in that conversation as one of the greatest, you know, small point guards. You know, the Isaiahs, the Chris Pauls and guys like that, the John Stocktons. He can be put in that category if he can stay healthy and and just play the game of basketball and kind of just leave all that other outside stuff alone. But the kid is extremely talented. Uh, and like I said, I had him at 19, Coop, and I saw it right then. I said, this kid has no weaknesses on the offensive end. You
0: know, he would have been uh, uh, <laughs> it would have been a nightmare to guard. I'm glad we don't see people like that. But he's funny. Uh he's Last but been, not, not yeah. least, Kobe
1: Bryant. One of the greatest workers I've ever seen. Um, uh, and, and I know it, it's, it's crazy, Coop, because How hard me and you and Magic and all those guys, how much we practice and, you know, how we would get to practice early to work on our shots. How after practice we have shooting games, you know, us three and then Magic, you know, developed a little baby hook that he had us doing in practice every day. We was doing all these games. But but KB was a different a different beast. And and I tell people this all the time. Vince Carter, Tracy McGrady, more talented than Kobe Bryant. More talented than Kobe Bryant, athletic-wise, and but but they didn't have the heart and the desire and the work ethic that KB had. I mean, thirty-seven, you know, eleven o'clock practice. He's there at nine thirty because he wants to get five. He wants to make five hundred shots from five different spots, and then practice. I mean, I I just never seen anybody like him from that standpoint, and that's why to me he made himself one of the greatest you know, players of all time is his work ethic and his Mamba mentality was second to none. Hey, that's
0: from Byron Scott, my top five, okay, the lightning round. B, uh, a little bit about our playing days and let you go. I know you're busy because you got to get back out there on the golf
1: course. What do you shoot? A three, a four? (laughs) First of all, Coop, I can stay here all day with you. You know, I mean, I'll do golf later. I can do that tomorrow. Well, thank Uh, you. My (laughs) handicap, look, yeah, Mike, come on, man! You know you come way before that. That's why I'm in love with uh, my handicaps five.
0: It's, it's that's, why fire in, fire. that's why I'm. in love with my caramel flavored teammate Byron Scott. Dave, <laughs> <laughs> your thoughts on, on, on you some know me? Cooper, look. <laughs> your thoughts on some of the Celtics that rivalry with the Celtics. Who did you hate most on that team and wanted to hit? I'm gonna tell you mine first. I wanted to slap the shit out of Cedric Maxwell so many times, man,
1: <laughs> and now I've grown to love the guy. <laughs> Who was you know your what, guy? Coop? I mean, I had two. I had two. I ML. Mean, I mean, waving that towel over there, I just wanted to smack the shit out of him just so he'd stop waving. And then number two, of course, Danny Ainge. <laughs> Danny Ainge with well, a passion, you know, I just wanted to, you know, I, I remember I remember we had one play, Buck was like, B, we're going to run 52. So you're going to catch the ball, and Danny Ainge is going to be trailing, so he's going to be on your left side. He said, I want you to go up, put that left elbow out. You're going to hit him right in his damn throat. <laughs> and I said, Buck, that's going to be an offensive foul. He said, baby B, trust, do that. Man, I did that shit, cool. Bam, shot it, heard the whistle, the ball rules. Count it, foul Danny Ainge, right? And Danny Ainge over there like this, you know, did you see what he did? did? You see what he did to me? And Buck, that's what I'm talking about, B, you know? And I was like, yeah, yeah. I, man, I wanted to hit that dude. Every game we played, I was trying to find a way to just, just, to, just to get one on his ass. I just want. I just hated him so much. But like you said, you know, when he went into being a general manager and I'm coaching uh, um I had to have I had had a few encounters with him where I had to talk to him and everything. And after that, I, was, I mean, we we were we were cool, you know. Everything was kind of squashed, and, and I found out I, I didn't like Cedric as well because he came in to do an interview with me when I was coaching in New Jersey, and it was my first year coaching. And our guy said, "Well, he does it with every head coach, you know." So can Cedric come in and do an interview with you? And I, and I looked at him just like this, coach and straight at his name is Mark. I said, "Mark, hell no, I'm not doing an interview with Cedric, <laughs> you know, coach. He does it with every head he does it with every team. Every team head coach. I said, I don't give a shit. I ain't talking to his ass, and I didn't talk to him. The first year, you know, we went Boston twice. I never did an interview with him. And then my man Marks was like, "Coach, you're killing me." The next year, he's like, "Please, every sorry, right, I'll talk to him." So he comes in, you know, said, "Hey, what's going on?" And I'm sitting there like, "What's up?" You know. And we finally sit down and we start talking. I was straight England too, Coop. I was like, "Yeah, what's up?" You know. And he went right down. Talking. <laughs> talking. And he ended up being there like 10 minutes later because he because I was like, okay, you know what? We had a good time. And I was like, all right, this dude's all right. You know, so it took me a while to to open up to like, you know, Danny and, and, and Maxwell and, and Larry, we were on, you know, uh, uh the panel together for the first, you know, for that lottery pick. And so, you know, got to know Larry a little bit more. But yeah, it, it was hard for a while. But man, ML Carr and Danny Ainge, I wanted to knock the shit out of them. <laughs> No, that's gone. These guys are all buddy-buddies. And, you know, I knew that when I was coaching New Orleans and, and we were playing against Utah and Darren Williams and Chris Paul, you know, were, were, you know, they were right behind each other in the draft. You know, we ended up getting you know, Chris Paul at four. Utah took, took Darren Williams at three. And, you know, the night before the game, we come in – or the day of the game, we come in for shoot-around. And Chris Paul was like, you know, what'd you do last night, coach? I said, I do what I normally do before the night, you know, night before a game. I go to a movie, you know, and and relax. And I go back home and I, you know, start thinking about the game. I said, what you do? He said, oh, me and uh, uh, Darren came over, you know, last night. We had dinner and everything. And, and, you know, spent the night. I took him back to the hotel this morning. I said, you did what? I said, wait a minute, wait a minute. Y'all did. He spent the night? I said, what kind of shit is this? And and now y'all going to go and battle each other? I said, man, I don't get it. I said, "I, I just don't get it. I said, there's nowhere in hell that if Boston was in town, me and Danny Ainge going to have dinner together and he's going to spend a night at <laughs> my house. I said, there's nowhere in hell. So I don't get that. that, that Those rivalries are, are been gone. You know, that's why all these guys are joining each other because they want to play with their buddies and all this shit. I mean, that, 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 that stuff, is it don't exist, the rivalries like they did back in the day. That Boston Celtic L.A. rivalry will be the best and last rivalry that we'll ever see. But you know it being really made basketball took it to another level, enabling these players to do what they do today. Oh, I agree. I, I mean, you know, you know what we were able to accomplish in the '80s and '90s, and and the teams before us have made the game what it is today. You know, the popularity of the game, the money these guys are getting paid, you know, has all been paved away by you know us, just like it was paved away, you know, from. Koozie and, 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 you know, and, and Will Chamberlain and Bill Russell and all those guys and Jerry West for us. So, you know, I don't, um, you know, to, to me, you know, I tell them kudos to all of them. You know, get as much money as you can. You know why you can because it is a business. Um, and, and as soon as you can't play the game, you're going to get traded or, or cut or whatever the case may be. But this game has been made on the backbones of all these guys before them. So my biggest thing with all the young guys is pay homage to the guys who got this to where it is. You know they they don't know the history of basketball enough, which is something that's surprising me. When we came in, you know, Coop, you you before me, but I know when I got, I, I knew about the Celtics back in the day. You know, I knew the history of the game back in the day. These guys, I I was in Cleveland coaching, and I mentioned Sidney Montcreek, and they was like, "Who was that?" I was like, "Are you fucking kidding me? You don't know you, you don't know Sidney me. but James Tony? So you know, guys like that. They was like, "No." I was yeah. like, "Man, y- y'all, y'all need to really look back at the history of the game of basketball."
0: You know, be after after we play our game. I went overseas. You went overseas and played a little bit. But again, one of the things what influenced you to get into coaching
1: for me, Coop, it, it was uh, um, it was something that Pat Riley said and Larry Brown when I, when I was with the Lakes in my fifth or sixth year. Me and Raul was talking one day, and Raul said. And I mean, he said it just like this. He said, "When you when you coach one day, you'll understand what I'm going through." And I looked at him, I said, "You got your damn mind right." I, I was still young, you know. I'm like, "I ain't coaching," you know. I ain't. You got your damn. You crazy. <laughs> and then, you know, when I was in my fifth year, I go to Indiana and I'm playing for the you know the great Larry Brown, who's a Hall of Fame coach as well, won everywhere he's been. And he would ask me on a day to day basis during practice. You know, he he, he called me bye, Hey, bye how would you guys double team, you know, this guy? I said, mm. well, we would do it two ways. You know, we either come from the nail and we double team, you know, put our chest on his, on his, on his, on his arm and we lean on him, try to get him to have some air under that ball and this is our rotation. If it goes this way, we go opposite, it goes this way, you know, and he was like, well, let's try this. So we would try it in practice. And he was like, all right, that's how we're gonna do it. You know, that's how we're gonna, then he came to me one day after about a week of, you know, kind of picking my brain on the way we played the game and how mm. we would, you know, uh, take away people he said, I don't know if you ever thought about this, but I think you'd be a hell of a coach. And I went, damn, you're the second person who said that to me, you know, Pat Rowley and Larry Brown. So I'm thinking to myself, they see something in me that I don't see, you know, and you talk about two Hall of Famers. And so from that point on, Coop, I started keeping a journal of things I would do in certain situations, you know, how I would run a team, you know, what my defensive philosophy would be and things of that nature. And that, that kind of got me into coaching. And you know what, B? You coached the uh, Lakers, you coached Brooklyn Nets, uh,
0: and you coached the Cavaliers. Uh, I know each one of those organizations are different, but where did you most enjoy coaching? Well, you
1: you you, you left out one, New Orleans. New Orleans, I, that's right. I coached, New Orleans. Uh, yeah, we, we, we drafted Chris Paul, and we had David West, Tyson Chandler. Uh, and Straka, that was probably the most enjoyable, you know, five years that I spent there because they allowed me to build that team up and and get it to where I felt we had a chance to win a championship. And then, you know, um, Mr. Shin, who was the owner, and and I had a guy who was my assistant coach who knew Mr. Shin real well, and he told me this, Coop, and I was like, "Come on, Gad, you got to be you, you tripping." He said, "No, you're gonna get this team exactly the way you want them, and he gonna fuck it up." That's exactly, that's exactly what he told me. I was like, really? I was like, the owner, he said, I'm telling you, B. Coop, I got the team exactly where I wanted. We ended up winning 56 games, had the second best record in the Western Conference. We had a great young point guard in Chris Paul. West. Both of those guys ended up being all-stars. Tyson, Chad. we had a really good team, and we had great chemistry. And showing up the next year, he wanted to trade. He traded Tyson. Right, I was in I was in the Bahamas, and and I had told them when we when I first signed with them as head coach, I said no decision can be made without me knowing about it. Is that is that cool? We all agreed. There's a absolutely you know because you are you know basketball players. We won't make any trades unless we you know talk to you, which is some more bullshit, you know. Of course, and they traded Tyson Chandler. When I'm in the Bahamas, I heard it at a basketball camp. I go to the camp. The kid says, "So you guys traded Tyson Chandler today?" I said, "What?" <laughs> you know. <I> had- <laughs> I was like, uh, hey, Jeff, uh, I'm in the Bahamas here, and I, uh, a kid at a camp just told me we traded Tyson. Oh, yeah, coach, I was going to give you a call and tell you about that. I said, get the fuck. Are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> I was going to call you. Butler, <laughs> I was going to, that's the exact words. AT, I'm telling you, I was about to call you. I'm like, man, get that. So you traded Tyson. Then we traded Rasul Butler, the late Rasul Butler, who's one of my favorite people of all time. That was two thirds of my team. And then they expect me to win the next year. I said, I'll hey, y'all fucking mind, you know? And then of course they, uh, they fired me. Cause I said to them, I said, I don't think we are going in the same direction. I'm trying to win championships. You trying to cut back on money and all this stuff. When you told me that money wasn't an object. I want to win a championship here in New Orleans, but you know, he's talking out the side of his neck, obviously. And that, <laughs> that was it. But that team was the most fun I had because they were young they were they they were they were ready, you know. Cool. They, they listened. They were coachable, and I really enjoyed being around them. And I really just had a lot of fun with them.
0: That teacher asked about going on vacation, huh? Yeah, no shit. <laughs> I, I was
1: like, okay, doing the basketball. I, I guess I got to go on vacation like soon as the season's over. People, <laughs> 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 I, I can't go in July. in, the in July. You know, I'm like, damn, you know, I, I get back and, you know, two-thirds of my team is gone. You know, it was, it was crazy. <laughs> so, B, uh, talking about winning championships, uh, we're going back and forth a little bit. What
0: uh, – what out of, out of the championship teams we had, which one is your favorite
1: championship team with the Lakers? Oh, oh man. Um, mm. That 87-88 team. That, that's my favorite team coach. Because you know we, we win and then we win in '87, '86, '87, we win, and then Rouse gets up and and, and you know does the unthinkable because we're trying to just celebrate and it says he guaranteed we're gonna win it again, and we all looked each other like, what what he wait a minute what what he just say, you know, <laughs> and we can't even enjoy, <laughs> we can't even enjoy this one, you know, we all sitting up there at the Forum Club, you know, and he says that so, but what what it it showed me as, you know, and you know Rouse. Rouse had calculated this. He had thought this wasn't something that just, you know, that he was just throwing out, you know, you know, out the side of his neck, you know, off the fly. This was something that he had already thought about. And he knew us. He knew if he made that challenge to us that basically we're gonna forget about the summer and vacation, start getting ready to, you know, make this this yeah. this damn guarantee come true. And that year was probably the hardest year that I've ever had in basketball, because I know you remember, we we sweep through Denver, and then we go 7-7 on every other team, you know, in in, in that playoff run to win the championship. It was the most exhausting that I've ever been, but it was the most fulfilling because we did something that no team had done for almost 20 years. And that team, we just all seemed to be so damn locked in from Mm -hmm. the first day of training camp that game seven against detroit we were so locked in that was to me the most rewarding and the most fun i ever had as a basketball player yeah, i mean 85 was great. We got that monkey off our back but we also was able to do something in 88 that no team had done in 20 years yeah you know went back-to-back titles so for me 85 was special because it was my first but that 87 and 88 back-to-back just, man i think that was you know that, that was something that not a whole lot of teams I thought about doing. And obviously Riles was thinking about it, you know, once we wanted it in 87, I'm sure he started, you know, he was already, you know, them wheels was turning, you know, how can I fire these guys up to get oh, them ready to right. try to do this again? Because after 85, you know, the 86 season, you know, we were, we were still damn good, but we did have a little bit, in, in my opinion, we lost a little, you know, had a little loss of focus, you know, maybe had that fat cat syndrome. We had won the championship, you know, Hey man, we the shit, you know, but, But when he guaranteed the next one, it was like, man, we you know, number one, we gotta we we don't want to make Rouse liar, so we gotta come with it. And we did.
0: And you know what, B, and I'll say this about 89. We go 87, 88, 89. I had Rick Mahorn and Isaiah Thomas on here, and I told them, I said, you know what? Y'all are very, very lucky because again, Rouse was really pushing us. He didn't make the the comment about we're gonna three peat. But it was there and we knew it. So we come out, we push it so hard. And the first practice we have in Detroit, you snap your ham. And I was like, okay, we can kind of overcome that one. And then, you know, first game of play, Magic snaps his. And I tell people this: had you two not gotten hurt, we would the the bad boys, shit, they would have been bad kids. We'd have been smacking their ass around and we would have got that three-peat real quick. What's your thoughts? (laughs)
1: Coop, <laughs> I love the bad boys would have been the bad kids because we would have been whooping their ass. I love that thought, boy. I, you know what? And I, and I tell people all the time, as good as they were, they got lucky. because we, yeah. we had a 13-game winning streak, which was unheard of. We was rolling through the playoffs. We were playing on, and we were hitting on all cylinders. And I honestly, I, and I remember talking to one of the dudes in the media before the game, you know, before we even started game one, I said, we'll win in maybe five. It might go six. I, I, I just knew we had a much better basketball team. And mm-hmm. if, if myself and Buck were healthy, it, it would have been a three-peat. And we already had three-peat shirts. Shit, we, you know, we were, we were getting ready for that. You know, we didn't make it publicly, you know, but to, it, you know, behind closed doors, we would like three-peat. You know, we're going to do this again. But just like any, any other sport, you know, when, when you look at the finals, you know, it, it's all about, you know, if you can get there healthy. You know, that, that's a big advantage. And that was the first one that, you know, to this day, and I, and I think Rouse will finally admit that taking us to, to uh, Santa Barbara and having that damn mini training camp was the worst thing done because I felt it, you know, during one of the practices that day, and I told Gary Beatty, and he gave me a day off and was just doing treatment, and then I came back, and I was like, oh, it feels good. And then we do a damn rebounding drill the first, you know, the first time we get to Detroit, and it snaps. And, and I think to this day, if we didn't have that practice, Pete, what are your thoughts on the NBA in general, overall? You know, I, I think I think analytics has played a part in the NBA now, a big part. Uh, I think you're gonna have to add like a four point shot or something like that, Coop, to get the you know to get that excitement back into the game. Not saying that mm-hmm. the game is not exciting now, but the NBA games until the playoffs, you know, because I, I number one, I don't think a lot of these guys care about the game like we did. They don't, they don't have that passion. A lot of them are just playing. Tell the playoffs where well, we played it, you know, all out every single game because you got to look at it like it's your last game. That's one of the reasons that I, I do love Russell Westbrook. I love the way he plays, the passion that he plays with because he comes with it every single night. And I love that about him. Uh, I wish more of the guys in the NBA did that. Uh, I got certain players that I do like and, and enjoy watching and would pay to watch. And then there's a bunch of them that I wouldn't give, I wouldn't watch them shit if they paid me. You know, so they <laughs> have to thank you to come. <laughs> So they <so. laughs> me, and I have a. I still have a hard time watching. Coop. I still have a hard time. But you know, but you, you know, just like you and I, we we bleed purple and gold. We're gonna always bleed purple and gold. I'm gonna always be an NBA fan. But I don't watch as much as people might think I do, as far as the, you know, regular season and things of that. Nature. When it gets to the playoffs, then. You know, I'm watching a lot of, you know, the Lakers when they in playoffs. I watched a lot of the Phoenix Suns, obviously, this year because of Chris Paul and Devin Booker. I really love those two guys. Uh, and the Greek freak in Milwaukee, I was just amazed at how good this guy is without being able to really shoot the ball. I mean, he is so <laughs> long <laughs> Exactly. <after. laughs> Coop, I'm saying, am I lying? I mean, you, you, if you make him a 17-foot on out, you, it, hey, he, he can have – it's a hit and miss. And if he ever get to the point where he develops that and can make that on a consistent basis, along with free throws, cancel Christmas. You can't stop him. You can't guard him. You know, so I, 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 I'm still a fan, but, you know, it, it's more really towards the playoffs is when I really start to watch and pick it up because I still think a lot of these guys and a lot of these teams, you know, you could turn it in on, you could turn the TV on in the fourth quarter with like six minutes left and you can really right. see what's happening in the game. And, 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 and you, know, you don't really need to watch the first three quarters. There you have it from Byron Scott's lips to Showtime with Coop's ears all
0: the way. Baby B, thank you so much, sir. B, you want to pump your podcast? It's Off the Dribble.
1: Yeah, the podcast Off the Dribble with Byron Scott. Uh, I got some great guests nice. on here. One being my, 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 uh, my dark chocolate friend, Michael Cooper, my brother from the mother. Uh, I got my man, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. I got James Worthy, A.C. Green, Kurt Rampus. And then that, that's just my Showtime boys. And then, you know, I got uh, Cedric the Entertainer. I got Joe Torre, uh, Jeffrey Osborne. I You know, I, I kind of went a little bit to everything. I didn't want it to just be, you know, sports. I want to be a little bit of everything. So, yeah, check it out. Off the Dribble, you can pretty much find it at any, any, um, anywhere that you can see podcasts. We're going to be on there. Big, thank you so much, and just a little note here: your Wi-Fi sucks, man. You got to get that done. <laughs> a bit. But
0: your show is in the studio, so you don't have those issues. Big, thank you, man. I love you, brother. Always will. Anything I can do for you, uh, let us know. Everybody, that's Byron Scott with the most beautiful jump shot you ever saw. Big mm, Scott, thank you, sir.
1: Thank you, good luck, you brother. The Showtime Podcast with Michael Cooper is brought to you by FanDuel, the exclusive wagering partner of the CLNS Media Network.